Yo, well, how's it going, indie wrestling fans? Welcome to Indie Handshake Podcast. I am Jesus Cruz, and today I'm joined by Joey Harder, formerly of Pro Wrestling Iron and Empire Wrestling Federation. Is that right? Empire Wrestling Federation, yeah. right? How you doing, brother? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, man. It's been... So, I can't even remember the last time I saw you, actually. It must have been at one of the last Iron shows. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, so I met Joey when he was a student at uh, Pro Wrestling Iron. Uh, this was what, in 04 maybe? Is that when you started? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, Late so yeah. Early 04, something like that. Yeah, I met Joey through there. And uh, yeah, he was a student that was a you know, very good student. And he, uh, I felt like he, he you know, climbed up the ranks pretty as far as you can at Pro Wrestling Iron. And, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's start off, Joey, with, you know, the basic generic question. How did you get interested in wrestling and how did you find indie wrestling? Yeah, I think my path to it was a little bit unique. I didn't start watching wrestling when I was a kid. I didn't watch a lot of WWF, barely knew who Hulk Hogan was, but uh, I was really into video games. And in high school, one of my buddies had a wrestling video game that I really liked. So we played this wrestling video game from there, I watched a little bit of WCW, but quickly got onto forums and tape trading. Started seeing a lot of stuff from Japan and Indies. And I liked a lot of that stuff more than the TV product because I really liked the technical wrestling and the strong style. So I watched, when I watched it on TV, I, I was all about guys like Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero over on the WCW side. I probably didn't even watch like a Shawn Michaels match until I was starting training. So, uh, yeah. And how did you find out about local independent wrestling? I think through the forums and tape trading and stuff, I think I got some tapes of different tournaments and, and big events, APW stuff, older ECW stuff. And from there, did some research. I think my first indie show actually was an EWF show that Frankie Kazarian was on. I remember I got to meet him after the show and he was super nice. And then I just started doing my research. I, in fact, I, I remember I was looking on the forums and I saw a post about how much all the WWF wrestlers made. And the guy at the bottom of the list made something like $100,000 a year, according to the list. And who knows if it was accurate or whatever, the dirt sheets. But I thought, I remember thinking, that's a lot of money and it can't be very hard. And so that's, that's kind of the, the mindset that I had at first when I was like, I should look into this in a, as a career. Of course, it turns out neither one of those things was true, but it was still a lot of fun. And I was, I was pretty hooked by then, so I kept going. Okay, and then this was all in SoCal, correct? That's where you're from. You're from the San Diego area. So what made you uh, move up to Northern California and how did you find uh, Pro Wrestling Iron? When I decided, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I want to be a wrestler. I did a lot of research on schools all over the country. And being on the West Coast, I gave a little bit more priority to West Coast schools. I looked at APW a lot. I had seen... Um, some of Mike's wrestling and some of Donovan's wrestling, and I thought they were really good. And so shortly after they opened Pro Wrestling Iron and APW, I think brought in 
Brian Danielson and Brian Kendrick as their trainers. So it was a little bit of a, a um, it definitely seemed like the Bay Area was the place to go between those two schools. And then when it actually came time to make the decision, I think Brian Danielson had moved on from APW and uh, I, I went and saw Iron and met those guys. And then that seemed like the right choice. Okay. Now, was your, uh, when you started training with Iron, were you part of a tryout or was it just a straight up, let me walk in the office. Here's, here's my money. Let's go. Yeah, I didn't do a tryout. I, I think I saw the tryout, but I knew I was 150 pounds dripping wet. And I, I just, I knew I wasn't probably like the scholarship guy, you know, I knew I was going to have to be the, the put in the work guy. So I didn't sweat the tryout process too much. They also gave like a crazy discount for paying cash. And I had saved a you know bunch of money for college basically. And I still went to college, but I, I had enough cash savings on hand that wrote a check and started training. And you ended up going to college up here, right? For uh, East Bay? Yeah, I actually, I looked at UC Berkeley and Cal State East Bay. Cal State East Bay felt a little more down to earth, which was kind of my speed and was closer to pro wrestling iron. So um, that's what I, what I ended up going with. Okay, and then when you started training, uh, tell us what your experience was training and what were some of the shocks of going from being a fan into actually starting training and working now? Yeah, the, the biggest one, day one. So I actually volunteered to work ring crew before I even started training because there was a show and I wanted to show that I was eager and hardworking. So I, I volunteered, showed up, was working ring crew. And we were about halfway through setting up when Bart Blackson grabbed everybody who was working ring crew, pulled us all outside. And he looked at us and said, all right, some of you guys are working really hard and that's great. Some of you guys are slacking off and are not paying your dues. And if you're one of those guys, when it comes time for your first match, what we're gonna do is have a Royal Rumble. And you're gonna be in the ring with all of us veterans and we are gonna beat the shit out of you. And my eyes just went wide, like what did I get into? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's funny how your perspective shifts too, because I remember probably about a year after that, there was an SPW guy who was booked on an iron show and we got a call that he wasn't going to be able to do the show because he had skipped ring crew for SPW. So they weren't going to let him come you know, do the booking. And I thought, wow, they're going to make him skip a booking for that. That's really harsh. Why don't they just beat the shit out of him? And right then I caught myself like, wow, that's... <laughs> My, my perspective has shifted. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That'll do it to you. Uh, who, who were some of your trainers? Cause I know primarily modest and Morgan were, were advertised as the main trainers, but obviously when they were in Japan, they couldn't be there, but who else would you consider was your trainer there when they were gone? To start with, it was mostly Sal, Sal Tomaselli. Sal was a great trainer, super smart, really thought about kind of every dimension of the business and, and the work. So that was really great to have him training. When we got into advanced class, Donovan took a pretty hands-on role in that when he was not in Japan. So that was good. And at that point, I think it was mostly Ray and me 
uh, and then Ryan Drago and Sarah Del Rey. And so when Donovan wasn't around, they kind of took point. And they were both super helpful, really patient with us. I really felt bad because forearms were a big deal at Pro Wrestling Iron, right? They didn't teach us how to throw punches. They taught us how to throw forearms. And everybody at Iron threw really good forearms, except for me. My forearms were terrible. They were always terrible. <laughs> Just never clicked for me. And one night, Sarah and Ryan were like, okay, you have to be able to throw a forearm. We're just going to do this until you get it right. And I just beat the hell out of Sarah. And she was so patient. And, she, and I wanted to stop. And she wouldn't let me stop. She was like, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. And for half an hour, I was just giving the stiffest, hardest, but most terrible looking forearms probably that ring had ever seen. Oh, man. <laughs> I wonder if she still remembers that. It's like this one time, she probably talks about you now at, over at uh, WWE. <laughs> <laughs> so was training what you expected? Or was it harder? Was it easier? Um, I, I think it was pretty much what I expected. I think by the time I was actually starting training, I had an understanding that this was not an easy business, that it was going to be really physically demanding. The ring at Pro Wrestling Iron was stiff. So I actually remember, you know, I could barely move after the first day of training. And I remember I, I took some buddies to EWF years later to, to try out a class at, at, at their school. They had a much softer ring. So after their first class, they were like, yeah, this isn't that hard. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you have no idea. So, yeah, yeah. so the ring at iron was stiff. Um, and that, you know, the training was very physical, very hard, but I think I was, I was pretty well prepared for that. So how long were you, how long did you train until you, um, had your, your debut match? I think it was about six months. I think. Ray and I were in, Ray and I started right around the same time and we were in beginner's class for about three months. And then in the advanced class, um, we really took advantage of open gym too. One of the really nice things about iron is that we could go in there any time of day or night and train. And I dragged Ray in there all the time. We were probably training five days a week for those six months. Yeah. And tell us about your debut match and how you got the name Joey Harder. Yeah, the name Joey Harder. So Ray and I had our debut match against each other. We, with all that training, we had a chain wrestling sequence that was really crisp, worked really well. We showed it to Donovan and Sarah and those folks, and they helped us tweak it a little bit. But Donovan was like, yeah, that should be the start of your first match. So that was really fun that we got to have our very first match against each other. We were really good friends from, from training and remained good friends. He was the best man at my wedding. So it was really fun to have our first match together rather than have our first match be, I know for a lot of guys, their first match is like against some vet who basically squashes them. And so it was fun to, to be able to show off a little bit in our first match. Was that as at the, as the Jojo? Yeah, it was a dojo show. Okay. And then as far as the names go, um, I, I bought something off of eBay. It was probably wrestling tapes. And 
the the seller's last name was Kejimura. And I thought that sounded cool. So that's how Ray got his his last name. Oh wow. Name. Okay. And then we had a really tough time coming up with one for me, but I was at Cal State Hayward at the time, living in the dorms up on the hill on Harder Road. And so of course, you know, one of the guys was like, well, what's your porn star name? And the road I lived on was Harder Road, which had a pretty decent ring to it. Yeah. For so both wrestling and porn star. Right. <laughs> so what was the feeling of going into your first match? I know it was just in the dojo, but you know, once you started doing shows like in uh Oh crap, you know, San Leandro and you started and, and then we'll talk about this in a little bit, but you started expanding to like Sacramento for SBW and stuff like that. So what was the how was the feeling of going from training, training, training in a closed building to now there's people cheering or booing me? It was definitely nerve-wracking at first. I had crazy butterflies. But once I got out there, I knew the ring because I had spent countless hours in that ring, in that building with Ray. So all of that was really very comfortable. And by, you know, the five or six minute mark, I was feeling comfortable enough to even work the crowd a little bit. I don't think I, you know, did a great job at that or anything, but you know, a little bit enough. Um, so yeah, it, it, it felt really good. Once I was in there and moving, everything felt great. So going back to what you just said about working the crowd, you know, Iron had very good uh, uh, fundamentals and training and uh, a lot of amateur stuff. But I don't really remember a time when they talked about character development or or, or how to play to the crowd. Was it, uh, Am I right to assume that? Or was it maybe I wasn't there when that was happening? No, I, th I think you're right. The, the training was very, very focused on the technical stuff, which for me was great because that's what I loved. That's what I wanted to be good at. That's the kind of wrestling that I watched and wanted to do myself. I think it got me into a little bit of trouble at some points because, yeah, they didn't teach us how to work the crowd or cut a promo. And, you know, that was kind of whatever. But they also never taught us how to sell. And I never went out of my way to learn how to sell. I was not very good at that either. And there were times I think that that rubbed people the wrong way. And I, I never meant anything about it. I was never trying to make anybody look bad. But I remember a match with Big Ugly from SPW um, where it's in the opening first few minutes of the match and he gave me a sh shoulder tackle and I take it and I, I sell and I get up and he says, nice no sell all sarcastically. And I thought, really? Like I, I sold that, you know, it's just a shoulder tackle. I shouldn't, you know, go crazy. I watched the film later and yeah, I just bounced right up off the mat. I, I didn't sell it at all. So I, I, I had to go apologize him for that. Um, uh, yeah, when it came to those kinds of things that weren't the strong style things, we, we didn't have a lot of training on it. And so a lot of that was kind of feeling it out. I know, uh, you know, I watched your interview with, with your guys' interview with Hook and he talked about learning some of that from Crash. And mm -hmm. um, so, so I think it definitely did happen for some guys at Iron. It definitely wasn't the focus and not being what I was the most motivated by. It's not something that I went above and beyond or out of my way to try to get better at. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't too many like charismatic wrestlers from Iron. It was like straight up, 
we're fighters. This is what we do. You know, we, we, we fight, you know, we don't, we're not going to cut promos. And uh, there was very few far between that had, you know, a lot of charisma. Ray had a lot of charisma, I felt, um, you know, but that was just him. That was how he was. Um, right. But yeah, I, I definitely do think that Iron was lacking in that department. Uh, before we move on to other places you work, tell us some about your favorite moments or matches at Iron. It was always really fun wrestling with Ray. We had our opening, you know, our, our first match. Then a little while later, we had a longer match where I think they let us go 15 plus minutes at a dojo show, which was kind of a, a big deal. That was a really fun match. It was always great working with Vinny. Um, he was super smart, really creative, just incredibly talented and really, really helpful worker. Uh, got to travel with him a bit too, which was always really fun. He was, he was a blast on road trips and uh, always did a good job looking out for us, trying to help us make sure we were learning and, and learning the right lessons. Right. And I had a lot of respect for him just as a person too, because he was a really good family man, just really loved his his wife and his kids. So yeah. Working with Vinny was always great. Um ring crew was always an adventure. I I learned so much outside of the ring at Pro Wrestling Iron too. And Frank, for example, taught me how to weld when we built the steel cage for his match with Apollo. I learned word woodworking when we built that super enormous heavy entrance set, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I had to set that up all the time for ring crew. After I think I think it might have even been before I started actually wrestling, I got put in charge of ring crew, which was a great leadership opportunity for a 20-year-old kid. But the way that that happened, Sal was in charge of ring crew, and I just showed up one of the show days at 6 a.m. to start working ring crew and Sal said said to me then like okay we're gonna put you in charge of ring crew I was like okay great and he said like starting today <laughs> and so he and I got the the ring truck it was a 24 foot truck the biggest car I'd ever driven was my Toyota Corolla and he said you can ride with me in the truck I'll kind of show you how to drive it so I, I get in the truck and ride shotgun out to Lathrop in the Central Valley we do the whole ring crew and all the show. And at the, the end of the show, Sal says, okay, see ya. And <laughs> now I'm in charge of ring crew and have to drive the truck back. So I made Ray follow me all the way back from Lathrop to <laughs> Hayward, tapping on the horn if I started to get over the lines one way or the other. I had to go fill the truck up after because it's a rental. So I spent probably 10 minutes trying to get it lined up with the gas pump, right? Because it didn't have enough clearance to get under the the cover, so I've got to go around the side and finally get it lined up. Get out, and I'm on the wrong side. The gas tank is on on the other side. <laughs> of the so I, I get it all lined up again, and Frank had given me like the company credit card to fill it up at the at, afterwards, and the cards declined. So at that point, I was just like. <laughs> Forget it. I'm just taking it back empty. They can charge them the eight bucks a gallon or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> oh, so, man. Um, I, but I, I think Frank and Donovan, those guys saw that I was a pretty responsible, level-headed person. So they, they gave me a lot of opportunities to kind of exercise that. 
one of the other things we had a show at a park in somewhere like San Leandro or one of those little towns. And the show's on a Saturday, Friday morning, Frank calls me up and says, hey, we need to, you to go get the permit for the show. You got to give them a deposit check. We'll, we'll get you this check. Just take it to City Hall and get the permit. So I get, I pick up the check. I go to the desk at City Hall and say, hey, um, I need a permit for the show we're going to have tomorrow. And this 50-year-old woman is behind the desk, lifetime bureaucrat, I'm sure, sees me, this 20-year-old kid, um, and says, oh, yeah, you're not getting a permit for a show tomorrow. Like, that's, it's too short notice. She said, you need to sign off from this person and this person. You, to, you need a licensed, bonded security team. You need insurance. You need all of this stuff. And I said, okay, well, are these people, like, at City Hall? She said, well, yeah, but it's Friday. They might not be here after lunch. So I just started going down the list. I'm just knocking on doors. I'm talking to people. I'm getting, checking the boxes. Oh, wow. I'm calling Frank. I'm, I'm telling Frank what we need. And he says, all right, we'll figure it out. I get a recommendation for a security team from one of those guys. And we, we made it work. At 2 o'clock, I showed up back at that woman's desk. And I said, all right, here's all the stuff. And she was she like couldn't believe it. She, she told me. This has never happened before. Like, Nobody's <laughs> ever gotten a permit the same day. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just was kind of raised with that. You just solve problems, you keep going and, and just take it one step at a time. And being at, at Iron really gave me the opportunity to put some of those lessons into practice and get that real world experience that, that was really useful. That should have been your gimmick, dude. The problem solver, Joey Harder. <laughs> That would have been dope, man. <laughs> I hated the I hate doing ring crew and I hated driving the truck. Three times I hit something with the ring truck, and those three times I had the iron ring inside. One was my very first show in San Francisco. I hit a street sign. Uh second time I hit a parked car in Redwood City. And the third time I hit Donovan's car backing into the school. And the funny part about that one was that my boy, Luis Costa, I think you remember Luis Costa. Oh, yeah. He, he was trying to stop the truck with his bare hands so I don't hit Donovan's. <laughs> I was like, and Donovan's like, dude, I just had to laugh at that. I'm not even mad that you hit my car. I just laughed that Luis was trying to stop it with his bare hands. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember at least two of those. I remember the Luis one, and I remember the car in Redwood City. Yeah, that sucked, man. That whole day just sucked. And then you guys had to... Sal talked about it in his interview. You guys had to do uh, uh, cardio and you guys had to do all that stuff before that. You weren't working yet. But I wasn't. I, I dodged blue, that bullet. Out of the blue, Donovan or Modest said, all right, we're going to do cardio. We're going to get in the ring. So guys like Hook, you know, Sal, Vito, Vinny, all those guys, they were already gassed by the time they had it. And then they had to, they had to do a show. So that was that was crazy. Um, talk about two uh, moments. Uh, one, when you got busted open with the chair. And there was another story about you going to the dentist. So let's talk about those, yeah. those two. Yeah. So the chair shot one was, was interesting. We, when we were training, I remember a night when Bart Blackson did some of the training too. And, and he was telling us that pro wrestling iron had not had a chair shot yet. And he was trying to explain to us that hardcore wrestling in high spots is not what it's all about. And he told us we haven't had one yet. We will have one eventually. And when we do, it'll be a big deal because we don't just do chair shots all the time. We don't do hardcore shot stuff all the time. So 
So if you make those things important, you get a lot more mileage out of it, basically is what he was saying. So the first chair shot in Pro Wrestling Iron was supposed to be Bart hitting me with a chair that night that I got busted open. And I remember that we were late in the, the card and Donovan wrestled Davey Richards on that show and just beat the shit out of him with his chair. <laughs> like the same night. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we, we had, a, um, I forget exactly the, the setup, but we were building a feud with Bart and Frank and Ray and I. Ray and I, I think we're tag teaming by that point or we're gonna start tag teaming. And I, I think Bart had a run in an our match and they hit me with a chair and then Bart and, and Frank just started beating up on Ray a whole bunch. Um, so I, I, I took the chair shot, um, cut open, bleeding a lot. And the cut wasn't that deep. It was, it was pretty wide. I had a decent scar for a while. Um, but forehead stuff bleeds a lot, especially when your heart's pumping because you were wrestling and whatnot. So then I, I'm supposed to get the chair and come back in, chase them off, and then uh, help Ray up. So I do that, I chase them up and I bend over to help Ray get up and the, the blood just pours out of my head when I bend over. And onto just Ray. Just on the mat. Ray just flipped out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, then we, we got to the back and they started cleaning me up and we were, uh, you know, People were, Donovan and, and Frank were like, yeah, good job, you know, with, with the whole spot. And, um, Frank said, you know what I love about Joe? He's not sitting here asking right now if he needs stitches. And then I said, wait, do I need stitches? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I didn't get stitches, but I did the, the pro wrestling iron first aid kit, surprise, surprise, was not particularly well stocked. <laughs> so I had to run the, to Rite Aid actually, and Ray drove me. And the thing that I love about drugstores is that you see everybody, like everybody's got to go to a drugstore at some point. So you're going to see people in suits and nice clothes, but you're always going to see somebody at the drugstore who looks like they're just having a real rough day. Like life's been real bad to them. Well, that night I was that person at the right aid, <laughs> walking in, covered in blood, getting like, you know, the butterfly bandages. And I remember setting them on the counter and looking up at the guy. And again, it was, it was pretty superficial. So I wasn't actually that bad off, but the, the retail worker there looked up at me, their eyes just go wide and they're like, are you okay? Yeah. And I was just, oh yeah, no, just, just, no, just ring it up. It's Hayward. <laughs> Yeah. What about the dentist trip? Yeah, so the dentist trip was uh, a funny one. I had, I, I always, so I always tried to get booked as much as possible. And I loved the marathon wrestling weekends because, you know, I, and I loved wrestling. So if I could wrestle on four shows in a weekend, I was over the moon. And this was one of those weekends. We had Friday night at the dojo, Saturday afternoon at... Uh, AWS at Frankensons down in the LA area. 
-hmm. Saturday night was Fresno for Mike Rain's promotion. And then Sunday night I had SPW. Well, Friday night at the dojo, I wrestled Hook. And Hook and I worked together a lot and usually it was great, but once in a while, he and I would just have sort of a freak accident in our matches. And this was one of those times. He, towards the end of the match, went just for a cover-up. It wasn't even a move. He just dropped down to pin me and landed on my face a bit and pushed one of my front teeth in. So one of my front teeth was, was super loose. Finished the match and I'm like, well, I've got a loose tooth, but I got a lot of wrestling to do yet this weekend. But the good thing is, you know, I'm, I'm from San Diego area. We've got to drive all night down to Southern California anyway. And my, my dentist and my insurance, they're all back home. So I called my mom. And if you ever wanted to talk to your parents and make sure that they're, they're not going to panic, definitely start the phone call with, everything's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm totally okay. <laughs> that definitely puts them at ease. And uh, so, I, so I started with that. And I asked my mom, could you make an appointment with my dentist for like first thing in the morning? So, <laughs> so we drove all night. I dropped... Hook and whoever else was, was with us, Vinny and Apollo, maybe. I dropped them off in, uh, in the LA area, Riverside area at Hook's place. And then I just kept driving to San Diego. Got into the dentist. The dentist said, yeah, it'll probably be fine. Just don't wrestle anymore this weekend. And I said, yeah, okay. So then I went to City of Industry, wrestled there. We didn't even have time to change into our street clothes. We just drove from there to Fresno in our gear, Mike Rain was calling us like, hey, are you guys gonna make it? Cause the show's almost over. We're like, yeah, we're, 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 we're almost there. Jump out of the car and almost right away go and have our match. Um, that was the night El Hijo de Chupacabra got his face broken, which is a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but we wrestled our match. And then um, I actually did get a good night's sleep after that, slept most of the next day before heading up to Sacramento for the SPW show. Um, so I did not take the dentist's advice of not wrestling. <laughs> so uh, staying in that, in that, uh, um, staying with the SPW story. So you started branching out and one of the places you, you worked with, you, how regularly were you working out there? I think, I think fairly regularly at first. So I probably, from the time we started wrestling to from the time we had our first match to the time Iron Close and I moved back to Southern California, I think it was probably only about a year. So during that year, I think I worked for SPW pretty regularly. But once I moved to SoCal, I don't think I came up for SPW shows hardly at all. So how was so it? I wrestled, I don't know, maybe half a dozen times for SPW. How was it like working with other people that, cause you know, you're used to working your, you know, the people that train with you, your, your, your instructors at iron. So how was it working with SPW crew? But then again, SPW also brought every, a lot of people from around the Bay area from like a APW or, or a brawl or something like that. So how was it like, Oh shit. Now I'm working with someone else from a different school. I, I think it was fine. I didn't, I didn't really have any issues with it. A lot of those SPW guys came to dojo shows too and worked dojo shows. And Sal, who was responsible for a lot of my early training was an SPW guy originally. So we have that connection too. 
I didn't really feel any problems. Um, I, I know later down the line, I would wrestle guys at other promotions sometimes and get to the back and they were like, man, you, know, you guys are really stiff in each other. And for me, that was just how we, we worked, you know, snug, not, not unsafe, but I never really realized it. But I think sometimes people you know, kind of came up to that level where they wouldn't have otherwise in terms of how physical they were being. To me, it was just how you work, I think probably rubbed a couple of people the wrong way a time or two. I don't think I had that happen at SPW. I think I got along pretty well with those guys. They did get a little bit upset when Ray and I asked for money, actually, because I think our first two shows for them, we just wanted the practice and, and the booking. So we we didn't even ask for money. And then I said, you know, could we at least get money to cover our gas? And Gabe said, oh yeah, you know, we'll, we'll look into that. Um, but apparently behind our backs after that, there was some, oh, these pro wrestling iron guys think they're such big shots, think they should get paid and whatever. <laughs> they want um, gas money, how dare they? <laughs> uh, apparently Sal, uh, Sal told him that that was a, a, a pretty BS attitude and worked it out. And we, we cleared the air after that. But yeah, in general, I thought those were, they were nice guys and had a good time working with them. Didn't have any problems. So let's talk about one of my favorite stories with you is uh, when I got you booked over at um, Rev Pro for the, the Rev J Cup. Uh, I put a match with you and Chupa, Hijo de Chupacabras. So tell us about that mm -hmm. experience because I, actually I want you to tell the story because you were only supposed to work yeah. out the first match. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was really excited, even though, yeah, I was going to go down and, and lose in the first round. Well, we get down there and El Hijo, I, I was not a big guy ever and definitely not at that time, but I did probably have 10 or 20 pounds on El Hijo de Chupacabra. And I remember we, we got there, we got dressed. He and I had already started talking about the match a little bit. And the promoter came over and met with us and talked to us a little bit. And he turned to you and said, well, who, who do you have going over out of these two? And you said, Chupacabra. And you know, he'd been working a lot longer than I had. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I don't know about a lot longer, but made sense. And I remember him looking at us and he kind of looked at him and looked at me <laughs> and I'm a few inches taller and 20 pounds heavier. You could just kind of see the wheels turning. And he said, yeah. I think this guy's going to go over. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I was winning the first match and then all of a sudden, and then I was supposed to wrestle Chris Bosch, I think in the second yeah. round and I was going to lose to Chris Bosch. Okay. Well, he got hurt in his first yeah. match. <laughs> I think so he got then it, hooks match. I think he did. I think it was during a hooks match. Okay. Uh, I may be wrong. So, so I was still supposed to, to lose to him, but it was going to be like a real quick bang, bang. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's totally fine. Like, I, I'm just happy to be here. Right. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but, but I think after, so yeah, I think maybe he was hurt going into the show. And after the first one, he was like, yeah, I can't even do the quick bang, bang match. So I got a bye, I think in the second round. So all of a sudden now I'm in the semifinals and it's me and Super Dragon and Scorpio Sky and Quicksilver. And I don't remember which one of those guys I was supposed to wrestle, but obviously I was gonna lose that one pretty quickly. And again, I'm like, yeah, totally just happy to be here. 
and um, uh, the show was running long. They ran out of time. Yeah. So they combined the semifinals and the finals into a four-person match. So now all of a sudden I'm in the finals. <laughs> the, the, the crowd loved it because I was this person who nobody had ever heard of. And so the, the, the crowd was super into it. I, I know I never like bought the, the hype. Like I knew that they were into it because it was a joke, not because I was, you know, blowing everybody's mind. Um, <laughs> But yeah, those those three guys, they were super nice. They they were they were really accommodating. They like didn't just bury me. I mean, I was the first one eliminated, obviously, again. Um, but yeah, like, you know, they let me shine a little bit and and it was uh they yeah, it was a, it was a blast. And then the crowd started, you know, we got they got behind you because every time you did a forearm, it's like harder, harder, harder. Yeah. And then and then the next night or, or that week on SoCal Uncensored. People were on the message boards like, we got to make the harder dragons happen. Harder dragons this, harder dragons that. So it was pretty cool because you were pretty new. You know, you were only supposed to, you know, <laughs> be there for that one match. Yeah. And then you worked uh, you worked some matches for me over in San Jose when I was doing the Lucha shows. And we had some really good crowds. How was it working in front of a Lucha crowd? I know you, I know you didn't work with a lot of Lucha guys, I think. I think Kid Omega was maybe one of your matches. Uh, I know Dana Lee from APW, which at the time, APW and PWI were still, uh, ooh, those guys can't work together. Mm -hmm. But we had like Dana Lee against you and Hook and Kid Omega, I think. So how was it working with uh, uh, in a Lucha environment? Yeah, Lucha crowds are awesome. Like I always love working in front of Lucha crowds because they're just so into it, right? They're just so passionate. The Lucha style in terms of wrestling, I, I think at your shows, I just did what I did. <laughs> I think there are a couple other situations later on where I tried to, where I, where I kind of had to wrestle more Lucha style and it didn't always really click for me. You know, I had decent agility, but there were a lot of just different things about how you build a match and what you do and what you don't do that, that, um, that didn't quite click. But yeah, in, in general, work, working Lucha shows is a lot of fun because the crowds are always great. Yeah. And I didn't notice until last week, and I told you, like, when you came out, you had something written in marker in your arm, like a Sharpie. And I'm trying to, like, figure out what it says. And I realized it says, like, pinche gringo or pinche guero or something like that. <laughs> I'm like, maybe that was you trying to draw heat. Maybe it was rape, you know, that did that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Ray. I think it was Ray. And I think it was Ray's idea. And I was like, yeah, sure. What the heck? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, fuck it. Let's do it. So, um, yeah. And you know, like coming from pro wrestling iron, um, one of the things, uh, you know, I've watched some of the interview, other interviews, like I said, with, with Val, uh, with Vito and Sal and, and hook. And one of the questions is what, what happened to pro wrestling iron and why didn't it have, more success or continued success. And that question actually was a little bit surprising to me because being there, I never really thought that success was the priority or the plan. Pro Wrestling Iron to me always seemed like this was a playground for Frank and Donovan and self-indulgence was kind of the, the way things operated, right? 
And so I did a lot of stuff like that. And Ray and I did a lot of stuff like that where we were entertaining ourselves, you know, uh, which probably wasn't always the best thing, but it was yeah. fun a lot of the time. So were you, uh, you were there until the very end, correct? Yeah, I was definitely there until the end and in the mix. I think I had moved back to SoCal probably a few months before things like really closed. I remember I did the drive up for a few shows um, in, in those later days. Yeah, I think the uh, one of the last ones was, uh, I think Mike Veloza ended up booking it at, the, at San Leandro High School where you wrestled um, Tito Aquino. And you actually, I think you, you got knocked out in that match. I did, yeah. yeah. Talk to us about that yeah, match. I was, it was a pretty decent match a, from what I remember. Yeah, Tito, Tito was a really great worker um he could be really stiff <laughs> and i don't remember how but yeah i i got knocked out and not out cold but to the point where i didn't know where i was and i didn't remember watch much and i was on autopilot and you can see if you watch the match all of a sudden like i have no facial expressions <laughs> i'm moving a little bit slower a little bit more loose i i was just out of it didn't remember anything but yeah, I'm glad it was still a good match. <laughs> so you you moved down back to SoCal and how did you get hooked up with uh, Empire Wrestling Federation with uh, Jesse Hernandez? Yeah, coming back to SoCal. So I had the, the Rev J tournament. I think I worked another show at AWS after that. And so I kind of hoped that I had made enough connections that I'd be able to get booked again I didn't think like I was a Rev J finalist I'm gonna get I you know I knew that I was still green but I had hoped that I had you know met enough people and showed that I was at least solid but I had a really hard time getting booked at first and Frank actually knew Jesse somehow you know there, that was a connection that they had had I mean Jesse knew almost everybody so yeah just been surprising. around yeah yeah so I reached out to everybody and I reached out to EWF and didn't hear anything back. I talked to Frank and Frank said, yeah, I know Jesse, let me give him a call. So after Frank put in a word, then Jesse got back to me and said, well, why don't you come up to the school and um, you know, you, you can do a training session with us and we'll see if we have anything for you. Was Hook already so I working? Did. Sorry, what's that? Was Hook already working uh, EWF at that time? No, I, I was... Uh, I was the first one from Iron to to go to EWF. And I think that was part of the reason too that that Jesse hadn't returned my call at first was Jesse didn't bring in, wasn't bringing in any outside guys at that time. And Jesse, I think is notoriously cheap. He always paid, he never, he never stiffed me, but he didn't pay great. And he didn't want to stiff anybody. And so he would say, you know, I, I would try to get him to bring somebody in at, times and he'd be like you know, I can only pay what I can pay like I can't I can't even cover his gas probably so to his credit he didn't want to to string people along or take advantage um, so I think that's why he was hesitant at first to even bring me in mm -hmm. but I went up to the to the school and um, got to got to meet Jesse then and I got to meet Cincinnati Red then who was the main booker at the time for EWF uh, and Red Red really liked me right off the bat. 
So they put me on some shows. Um, and I think after like three, three shows with them or something like that, they put the cruiserweight title on me. And I held it for, I think, almost like two years. Almost my whole time at EWF, they had some title on me or other, which, which was awesome that they, you know, really, uh, they, they felt good about me, gave me a lot of opportunities. It was, it was really nice. Did you end up um, getting the tag belt with Hook? Yes. You did, right? Yeah, that, that was, yeah, it was really fun. So uh, after I'd been working there for a bit, Hook moved back to SoCal too. So then he started getting on those shows and we worked together a little bit. We did a tag team for a bit where we were heels. And then we had a, a fun thing where I was, I had their, their heavyweight title, their, their main title. And we were the tag team champions at the same time. And then I had a face turn, but we were still a heel tag team. So Hook would just like abandon me in the middle of our tag matches. And then I, you know, randomly, luckily pull out a win somehow, just eke it out. So we did that for like three shows in a row, which was really fun until we, he actually full, full on turned on me. And then we had a, a nice feud after that. So, yeah. So also one of, um, a, a bigger opportunity that you got through wrestling was to wrestle a dark match in ring of honor. Uh, how, how did that come about? And that was, was that before you moved to, back to SoCal? Yeah, I was still at, I was still at iron at the time and Donovan set that up. So Ryan Drago, Apollo and I got to go and, um, uh, and Donovan let Ryan pick who he was going to wrestle. And he picked Oliver John, who, um, was a great worker, total madman, super stiff, but, but Ryan knew that he'd have a good match with him. Uh, and then I was going to wrestle Apollo. And so we, it was in New York, which was awesome because we got to spend a couple of days out there and do all the touristy stuff. And Hook went along with us too. I think maybe he was recovering from his injury, but he was like, yeah, I'll go to New York. So we had, a, we had a lot of fun together. The match was not great. Um, and I, I've given Apollo a lot of, a lot of heat for this over the years. So this, this is all stuff he's heard before, but he had this move that he did, which was like a springboard spear from the inside. Right. So he's inside the ring runs, jumps off the bounces off the second rope, turns in midair and does a spear. Now I had seen him do this move three or four times and I had seen him screw it up three or four times. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> one of the times he he ended up like headbutting the other guy and there was just blood everywhere it was terrible so he's calling the match he's like then i'll do the spear and i'm like wait a second wait a second <laughs> wait you've never been on these ropes before we've never been in this ring before you've never actually successfully hit this move before don't do the spear yeah. and he was like i can hit it i can hit it don't worry i can hit it you you've never hit it <laughs> You, you should and not you're, do this and you're probably thinking like this is a, a we can't fuck this opportunity up kind of deal right like so um so he swears he can hit it and then hook who was there and i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a hook under the bus for this too <laughs> hook says joey he can hit it don't worry about it he'll hit it it'll be fine okay all right i cave we wrestle 
he goes, he slips, he has to grab the top rope. He like takes a couple seconds to fix himself. I'm standing in the middle of the ring like an idiot. And then he turns around and hits it. And it's just, it's, it's terrible, right? I think the rest of the match was, was fine. Um, I don't think we had any problems otherwise. I might have screwed up the tornado DDT to the guillotine because I messed that up all the time. That was a move that I probably should have been doing as much <laughs> as I did. But um, yeah, so it, it was rough. It, it was not the best match, but we had a good time in New York. Then it snowed as we were leaving and none of us got much snow. Hook was building like little tiny snowmen and Apollo was like stomping each one. <laughs> Hook would get really mad and Apollo would say like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to do it anymore. Hook would build another one. He'd stomp on it. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, why dark, Apollo did bring that up. Uh, not not during his interview. He brought it up later as we were talking. Because I totally forgot that you guys had that dark match for Ring of Honor. And he goes, yeah, I'll never forget that Joey, during the match when I slipped, he goes, fucking Apollo. I did. <laughs> I did. I yelled that right after the spear. Yeah. That uh, <laughs> <I> was hot. <laughs> and Ap Apollo's probably like, who's this kid? Like, I'm I'm the veteran. Like, you know, I don't know. He, he never, I, I don't right. know acted like that but he did no no he was yeah he was a he was a solid guy yeah so what were your you know going a little bit back i guess what were your goals getting into pro wrestling signing up with pro wrestling iron what were your goals at the time and you know and then afterwards like around the ring of honor time what was what were your goals then i don't think they ever really changed i i think i wanted to make a living at it and I wanted to be like one of the great technical wrestlers. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work WrestleMania. I would, you know, I had no illusions about being Hulk Hogan. Like if I could, if I could have been Dean Malenko, I would have been ecstatic, right? Um, so that's, that's kind of what my target was. And uh, I think that that stayed pretty consistent. That's, that's what I wanted, wanted to do. Okay. And now for the part of the podcast that both Vito and Sal Tomaselli have been waiting to hear probably this whole time right now, because they're definitely watching this. Uh, shout out to Vito and Sal, Iron Saints. Um, tell us uh, some peculiar, funny road stories that you may have had. And the reason I'm alluding to Vito and Sal, if you go back to watch their podcast, their one of their favorite stories has to do with Joey Harder. So I want Joey Harder to come in and give us his point of view yeah. uh road trip he took to iwa mid-south so I, I watched their accounts of it and, and they're not they're not too far off um <laughs> but, but there are a couple things to correct so sal and Vito were out in iwa mid-south and i i stayed in touch with those guys during that time and they really wanted me to come out there and they wanted me to actually move out there because they thought it would be a, a good career move so uh, so, so I went out there and it was like a three day kind of long weekend with two shows and yeah, there's, there's a lot of drugs and I was, I mean, I, you know, I'm a nerd. I, at the time when I was a pro wrestling iron, I was literally, I was teaching Sunday school. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like I, I drank a bit with those guys, but I otherwise was, was pretty on the, on the straight and narrow. Yeah, um, I don't ever remember really parting with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh 
but I had been at iron. So like I had seen the drug use and stuff like that. Was there probably more of it in terms of quantity that I'd seen than I'd seen previously? Sure. But it, it didn't, it didn't shock me. It didn't, you know, uh, it, it didn't scare me off or, or anything like that. I think if I was shocked by by anything on that trip, less than the drugs, it was by the shitting everywhere, which Vito talked about. <laughs> I, that I, I just I didn't get it. I didn't. Get Those it. are calling Sorry, guys, hard. But, <laughs> yeah. Um. But I, I still had a great time. It was still it was a great weekend. Good shows. So some great stories coming out of that. So one of the things that I this was after the Ring of Iron dark match. And I learned from that Ring of Iron dark match in terms of dealing with, with the screw-ups, right? And the thing that I learned was that those things are going to happen in the ring. And when they do, you've got to shift the narrative fast. So my strategy from then on was when something got screwed up, you need to, to do something crazy, brutal, you know, whatever, so that instead of going to the you fucked up chant, the crowd goes goes to the, you know, holy shit chant, right? Mm-hmm. And it's gotta be fast. So in both of my matches out there, the other guy screwed something up. And in, in one of them, the guy, um, you know, like crossed me on the top rope and then was gonna do like a springboard drop kick. Well, I mean, just like Apollo, he slipped on the rope and screwed up the springboard part. So then he gets up and I'm just sitting there. He runs to hit the other ropes like he's going to bounce off the other ropes and then give me the drop kick or something like that instead. Well, I'm not just going to sit there anymore, right? That's what I learned. I'm not going to sit there and wait for Apollo to figure it out and come off the ropes. So I get down, and by when he turns around, I'm there waiting for him. And I threw wicked clotheslines. So I hit him with a clothesline, you know, turned him inside out. And so right away, the crowd's not thinking about the slip anymore. They're thinking about the clothesline. Um, had had something similar the next night the guy like you know was supposed to roll under a clothesline and give me a drop kick he tripped on his own two feet and like so instead of doing a somersault he's like on his face gets up tries to throw the drop kick and it's like I've been turned around for a couple seconds now so I just caught him in midair slammed him and just gave him like a stomp to the face to just be like yeah no we're we're changing that's done I'm not standing here waiting for this anymore you know we're and and you know, I didn't do anything. It wasn't like a receipt situation where I was going to do something really stiff or unsafe or try to hurt the guy. It wasn't vindictive. It wasn't angry. It was just like, no, we need we need to set the tone now, right? We need yeah. to, to to change the perception. So besides the IWA Mid South Road story, do you have any of your own that that you want to share? I know I know I got out of a speeding ticket just by having you in the car for some reason going out to SoCal. I was wondering if you were going to bring that one up. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I do want to say one other IWA Mid-South story. One of my favorite things that I ever saw in wrestling. This was not one of my matches, but there was a, on one of those shows, they did a lot of hardcore stuff and they had like a four-way tag match, <laughs> hardcore rules. So it's just guys fighting all over. And this is at like a boys and girls club in rural Indiana with maybe 50 people in the crowd, right? And the for the, the finish spot, one of these guys is going to do his signature flying headbutt, but he decides that the flying headbutt isn't a big enough deal for this hardcore match. So he goes out, starts to climb the rope, and then he's got hidden somewhere a, a towel, and he soaks the towel in lighter fluid. 
and then he wrapped it around his own head and goes through the diving headbutt, sets it on fire right before he jumps. So he's going to do a flaming diving headbutt, which makes no kind of sense. Like, just <laughs> ridiculous, right? <laughs> if this goes as well as it possibly could, it's still stupid. You don't set yourself on fire to hit somebody else with a move, right? But that's what he's going to do. Lights it up, jumps off the top rope, right at the apex, right at the peak of his jump. He goes into panic mode. Like his human brain kicks in and he realizes I am on fire. Panics, starts slapping at his own head. Like the towel <laughs> goes off, he's trying to put the fire. He just lands with a thud in the ring. It was just like, it's, it's one of the, the, the dumbest things that I've ever seen. He seemed like a good guy. He had a, he had a good sense of humor at, about it after the show and all, but it was just like, what are you doing? Did he cover the guy afterwards? <laughs> I, I think they I think they I think they adjusted the go home and had another move after that but yeah that's one of my favorite uh, things when there's a big ass botch guy does not even hit the move at all and he still goes and he covers the guy <laughs> um yeah have you had any um any shady promoter or shady show story you don't have to name names if you don't want but just a, a situation where you're like fuck man this show is just terrible. I know I'm not going to get paid or, or, or a funny reason of why you did not get paid for a show. Um, no, I, so I, I've heard all the other iron guys say like, no, we always got paid no matter what I, I was, I was too nice. There were times that I got sick, but that was early on. But I think, I think like the, the show where I was like, oh yeah, this is not going well. Um, there was a guy who ran I think he ran like three shows in Northern California and he was a money mark. So he was a guy, he was not in the business. He didn't know anything about the business, but he had a bunch of extra cash for whatever reason, decided he was going to start a wrestling company. Seemed like a nice guy. He I think paid I know who this really is. well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he paid, I mean, he paid too well, right? He paid two to four times what I was getting anywhere else and covered gas and all this stuff. So it was great. Um, I think other workers took advantage of him and, and, you know, kind of killed that cash cow too early, which was unfortunate, but, you know, mm -hmm. seemed like a nice enough guy, but did not know what he was doing. And one, um, one night I had a triple threat match with Elio de Chupacabra and Bonsai Bruce from SPW. And I really like both of those guys. And I had worked with both of them multiple times before, had great matches with them loved working with them. But that night, I, something was off. I don't know what it was. And I don't, I don't believe in like premonitions and sixth sense stuff, but there was just like a bad energy in the, in the early going in that match. They were stiff. And these guys were not usually stiff, but they were stiff. And they, um, I think, I think Elio de Chupacabra gave me a snapmare and was going to give me a kick to the back, you know, that, that classic indie move. But Bruce interrupted him and I was the heel and said, wait, wait, wait. And then Bruce put me in a front face lock and was gonna hold me in a front face lock while I was gonna take this kick. Well, then, you know, your, your back goes from your lats, taking the kick in your, in your lats basically to now my, I'm bent over and my spine is exposed. So I immediately threw Bruce off and I powdered. I got out of the ring and then I did the heel thing like you guys fight and I, like I was chickening out. But I straight up was chickening out because they were just beating the 
crap out of, out of each other and out of me. And sure enough, they had an exchange and then Bruce was knocked out 30 seconds later. And he was knocked out the way that I was in San Lorenzo or wherever it was, where he was still like on his feet and kind of going through the motions, but he had no idea where he was. And a triple threat match, the spots are kind of important, right? There's a lot of coordination. You, you've got to be on your marks or else everything is screwed up. And so it was, it was just a, a nightmare. And then at the end, Rick Luxury was going to do a run-in. So I'm supposed to be sitting on the top rope and one of the guys is going to superplex me and I push him off. And then Rick Luxury jumps off the top rope on him. I distract the ref and, or no, Bruce was supposed to distract the ref. So I'm sitting on the top rope. I push the guy off. Rick comes in for the, the run-in and Bruce isn't distracting the ref because he doesn't know where he is or what he's supposed to be doing. So I actually jumped off the top rope and I went over and grabbed the ref and turned him toward the crowd. And I remember where, you know, I've got my hand on the top rope. I've got one hand around the ref and the top rope just drops, which doesn't happen. That's just weird, right? <laughs> I turn around, it had snapped. So this promoter rented a ring, did not rent a ring crew, had his buddies put the ring together. They didn't know what they were doing. They put it together wrong. and and put like a, you know, what was supposed to be the bottom rope on the top rope. And it snapped when, when Rick put his weight on it. So Rick falls, had already had ankle problems. And so he's down with an ankle injury. So I turn around, Rick is down. Part of the shrapnel from this ring exploding came and hit Chupacabra in the face. Oh. And so he's like messed up. Bruce is already knocked out. It's just carnage. The, the ring posts are like, all askew now, like the ring is falling apart. The ring crew guys are like jumping in, trying to fix stuff, but the match is still going. And I'm like, well, you know, show must go on, right? Yeah. So I pick up Chupacabra, I hit him with my finisher, hit him, and I'm like, all right, so we'll just go home now. Well, Bruce still doesn't know what's going on. He broke up the pin. <laughs> so, so now I, I, hit Bruce with something. I hit Chupacabra with something else again. I pin him and I just yell in the middle of the ring with all this chaos, people jumping in the ring. I'm like, everybody stay the fuck down. <laughs> Chupacabra, get the three count and get out of there. And, uh, you know, they, they figured out how to fix the ring or whatever, I guess, for the rest of the show. The promoter, he was really apologetic. He was like, what can I do to make this right? And I'm like, you know, double my pay. And so it was, I did. I got double the pay on an already ridiculous uh, <laughs> paycheck, so that was good. Um, but that was just insane. And then a couple of weeks later, um, uh, we had a show at EWF, and one of their you know more more veteran guys was supposed to um, lose to me, and he he didn't really want to, so he was talking to Ryan Taylor about it, um, who was also on this road trip with us, um, and. He said, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this match with Joey, but maybe I'll do like where there's an injury and I can't continue. And so like the match kind of just gets called and it looks like, a, you know, whatever. And Ryan was like, oh no, that, that won't work. I've seen what Joey does when people are actually hurt and things are actually falling apart. He will not stop. <laughs> so <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had any uh, crazy fan interaction? Yes. Uh, and I think my craziest fan 
story wasn't even what they were doing was out of line because you you know you've heard all stories about fans doing crazy things but the thing that was surprising about it and i wrestled at bike rallies i wrestled in bars i wrestled in a walmart parking lot a couple of times the craziest crowd i ever wrestled in front of was a really posh private corporate event and jesse got these weird events going one time this was a, a, a big company, uh, I won't name names, but it's some, somebody that you've heard of, put on a private event on the central co coast of California up near Monterey. So we all drive up from, from SoCal to Monterey to, to have this show. It's a Lucha sheet themed show in front of a bunch of casual fans. So we just do, you know, whatever. And they had this whole evening planned for their, their staff. So we're, we're early on, early entertainment, but they loved it. And so they said, can you guys stick around and do another show in like three hours? And it was, you know, hot crowd and ridiculous pay again. That was one of those rare, like, yeah, we're getting paid really, really well. And they were like, yeah, and we'll just, I mean, we'll, we'll obviously pay you for the second show and a little bit of extra. And it's like, uh, yeah, we'll stick around for a second payday like this. Mm -hmm. Well, in those three hours between shows, we're just sitting around and they were all drinking. The, the corporate employees were just hammered. So the second show comes around and now they're rowdy. They're throwing ice in the ring. One of them jumped in the ring and just got, you know, clocked. Um, it was just insane. So, and, and it's late. So we're doing this Royal Rumble for like the big finish spot and they're just nuts. And I, I was supposed to be either the last one or second to last one in the Royal Rumble. So I'm just throwing people out left and right. like we got to get out of here. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> and, uh, one of the, one of the EWF guys who was, you know, one of the kind of the, the mid Carter jabronis that Jesse had a soft spot for. I'm like, all right, are you ready to go out? He said, uh, not really. And I'm like, I wasn't really asking and <laughs> just tossed him, you know, like we got to get out of here. It was wild. <laughs> People wearing suits, throwing ice and punches at wrestlers. Like, <laughs> Just crazy. One need to be wrestling, man. Yeah. Uh, how about any embarrassing moments? Yeah. So for our first match, uh, you know, I was I was very serious. Like I said, I was not about the gimmicks. I was not about any of that. So my ring attire for my first match, I got plain blue long tights, no design, nothing, flat black boots, and the morning of the first match, Donovan is like, "All right, so what do you guys?" wearing and Ray's got whatever he's got. And I, I'm like, yeah, I got plain blue tights. He's, and Donna was like, no, no, you're going to look like a jobber. Like, what, what are you doing? Figure something out. So I, I took my tights to the, to like a, 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 to the mall to get a design airbrush on them. Like I picked I out remember some that. <laughs> generic, like tribal design off the internet. That's on all my tights forever after that, because I committed to it for some reason. Yeah. So I've got this <laughs> and I'm going to get it airbrushed. And I, I, you know, bought some decent quality wrestling tights and the guy doing the airbrushing burned them, just trashed them. Was this the blue so gear the mall, or the red one? Blue. The blue gear. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm at the mall with Ray and one other guy, I think, and again, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm in problem solving mode. I'm like, I guess let's check all the sporting goods stores in the mall and see what we can come up with. And we split up. And so I went to a sporting goods store and Ray went somewhere else and Ray called me. He's like, yeah, I think we got something here. So 
run down the mall and um it's you know some footlock locker type store I, I walk in and ray's there and the woman's like oh yeah no they they explained to me what's going on we already we got a pair of tights for you in fitting room two or whatever so i go into the fitting room i put the tights on and i didn't feel right so i i walk out i'm like guys i i don't know about the the fit and Ray's just dying laughing. I'm wearing women's yoga pants now <laughs> in the mall. <laughs> yeah, he got women's yoga pants off the shelf and he got me to try them on. Um, so, yeah. That's funny. Uh, we did end up you started, you some... started the trend. You started the yoga pants trend. <laughs> yeah. Now I just need the yeah. little Uggs boots or the, what is it? The... <laughs> so we did find something, the airbrusher, you know, airbrush my whatever crappy tribal logo on there and uh i still look terrible so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, was, I always wondered what that rhyme or reason was for that logo yeah but there it, was no, it was, it was like i mean it's so logo. it was 2000 generic early 2000s generic indie wrestler pick some weird random thing and throw it on there you know yeah so uh last question winding down uh, what were the things that you found disappointing in the business and what was the reason that you decided, you know, to hang up the boots? I, I didn't really like the business side of the business. I, I really liked the wrestling and everything else was a necessary evil to me. I, I didn't, I hated promos. I used to hide at EWF when it was time for promos and uh, Red would send people to look for me to come cut promos. I just hide. I didn't want to do them. Um, and of course, you know, all the, the shady people and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I really value honesty and integrity. And so having to deal with people who did not share those values all the time in, in, in that environment wasn't, wasn't really great. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, of why I decided to, to move on, I think, I, I took an honest look at where I was and, and what guys who were kind of like me, what, what they were doing. And I figured, you know, I did it for three years, so not that long. And in those three years, I worked really, really hard at it and I sacrificed everything. But I knew it was going to be five more years of that, at least. You know, I looked at, at guys like TJ Perkins and um, uh, you know, Rocky Romero and Chris Hero and, and saw, you know, guys that I knew and, and, saw where they were at and what it took and how long it took them. And I knew that it was going to take a lot more years of a lot of sacrifice. And I knew that I was going to have to start doing those things that I didn't like to do. I didn't like the networking. I didn't, I, I never wanted to go to a show that I wasn't booked on to try to shake hands and get on the show. I hated that. I didn't want to work on my pro promo skills, right? Like I didn't, I, those, if I, I knew that if I started to do those things, it would it wouldn't be a passion anymore it would be work and if this was going to be work i could find better jobs right i, I could i could right. make more money i could not get my head kicked in I, I i just wanted to do the things that i wanted to do and i i i didn't want to have to mess with the, the business side i never sold t-shirts i never did marketing I, i'm not a salesman um so all of that stuff was not really in my wheelhouse so knowing that I would have to do those things and give up everything else, I wanted to start a family. And, you know, now I've got an amazing wife. We've been together 13 years. We've got a three-year-old son who's just awesome. 
Um, and I think a lot of that stuff would have been a lot harder if I was still trying to make wrestling happen. So what if your son uh, says, hey, dad, I'm thinking about signing up for this local school here. <laughs> <laughs> would you let him? <laughs> I, like, I, I try to talk him out of it. <laughs> But, you know, ultimately, I, I think you got to make your own decisions. And I, and I don't have any bitterness or regret or anything like that. I did love my time wrestling. And I learned so much, again, both inside and outside of the ring. I gained so much confidence. And I, for sure, would not be the person that I am today without it. So I... I'm really thankful for the time that I had in the business. I think I walked away at the right time before I got bitter before I got really hurt and I walked away without any serious injuries, which was really nice. No surgeries, no broken bones. Um, the, my, my left finger and thumb are, are permanently numb in the fingertips from, from one, you know, shining wizard. I took the wrong way, but by and large, relatively unscathed. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't have any regrets about, doing it as long as I did it. And I think I left at the right time and, and everything worked out really well for me. And fucking Apollo. No, but anyways, <laughs> thank you, Joey Harder, for being a part of Indie Handshake. Uh, you're always one of the good ones. And I'm glad that, I'm, I'm also glad that you got out when you did uh, because the, this business can, you know, swallow you up and they can change your person. But I, I knew it wasn't going to change you as a person either way. But yeah, I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, that, that you got to do it and you were good at it. Like I, I've been telling a lot of people as green as you and Ray were, nice. you guys were already lighting up the ring, man. So you guys had a lot of potential to keep going, but thanks again, Joey Harder. And thank you for watching Indie Handshake. We'll catch you next time.